Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Today's episode is sponsored by Green Chef. I know you may have heard it before, but I've got to tell you about my favorite way to make dinner, and it's all with the help of the company, Green Chef. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide variety of easy-to-follow recipes that you can cook in your own house. There is something for everyone with keto, paleo, plant-powered, and balanced living plans, all of which have quick and easy step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to help guide even the most novice of chefs, like myself. I cannot wait to cook the chicken with creamy chimichurri this week. My mouth is literally watering just thinking about it. I am definitely not the chef in my family by any means, so normally a recipe like this would intimidate me into scrapping it from my menu. But I know from experience that Green Chef recipes are so easy to follow, and with everything pre-measured and prepared for me, it's pretty foolproof even for me. One of my favorite things about Green Chef is the recipes are filled with hand-picked organic vegetables and high-quality proteins that are delivered straight to your door. Once you choose what meals you want, Green Chef does the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week, meaning that this can work with even the busiest of schedules, and you can be confident that everything in the box is working together to make amazing meals that you and your family are going to love. Not only that, but Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit out there, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So not only are you putting good stuff in your body, but you can feel good about how it got to your table. Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh, a company that so many of you know and love. With a wider array of meal plans, you can try out both boxes and see what suits your family best. Or if you're like me, you can switch back and forth depending on what looks the most delicious, which is always a hard decision. So if you are ready to try it for yourself, go to greenchef.com slash morning 100 and use the code morning 100 to get $100 off 
including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash morning100 and use the code morning100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder... Some people are never who they say they are, and an imposter would do anything to keep his facade intact and his lies straight. On August 2, 2008, a man was arrested for the kidnapping of his own daughter, a man with many identities and at least two skeletons in his wake. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On July 27, 2008, a clinical social worker named Howard Yaff was on the clock observing a father-daughter duo as they walked through Marlborough Street in Boston, Massachusetts. The pair were Clark Rockefeller and his seven-year-old daughter, Ray Starro Mills Boss, who legally had to have supervised visits after an extremely contentious divorce between Clark and Ray's mother. This was their first visit since the dissolution of their marriage. Over the course of their weekend, Howard was privy to a number of strange requests coming from Clark, one of which came when he asked Howard if he could introduce Ray to his new wife and children. The thing was, Howard, who was quite familiar with the case, had no idea that Clark had another family, but decided that it would be inappropriate for Ray to deal with the introduction on their first visitation. Clark seemed to brush off the decision and continued a rather pleasant visit with his daughter, who was clearly very happy to be spending time with her father again. Then, the unthinkable happened. As Howard casually looked at a building that Clark had pointed out, the social worker was shoved hard while an SUV sped up beside them, and Clark, holding his daughter, jumped inside. Realizing what had just happened, Howard quickly recovered and grabbed hold of the vehicle, dragging alongside of it for a short distance before falling to the ground. According to his later testimony, within minutes of the car picking them up, Clark told the driver to pull over, got out, hailed a cab, and instructed the original driver to wait for them in a nearby parking lot while he took his daughter to Massachusetts General Hospital so he could get a bump on her head checked out. They sped off and the driver waited. But two hours and a $3,000 fare later, Clark and Ray were nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, inside of the cab, Clark told the driver to take him not to the hospital, but to the Boston Sailing Center, where one of his female companions was waiting for him. She then agreed to take him to New York in her car for $500, all the while Clark pressed her to hurry because he and Ray, who he lovingly called Snooks, had a train that they had to catch. Unfortunately, this time-sensitive trip was put on hold when they arrived in Manhattan and, unsurprisingly, hit traffic near Grand Central Terminal. Anxious to get to his destination, Clark scooped up Snooks, threw an envelope of cash at his friend, and took off in the street. Almost like it was in a movie, before she could catch her breath, the driver got a phone call on her cell phone. On the other line was a friend asking if she had seen the Amber Alert concerning the abduction of Ray Starro Mills' boss. Back in Boston, Sandra Boss, Clark's ex-wife and Ray's mother, was delivered the horrifying news that her ex had just made off with their young daughter, 
And at the same time, Boston police were entering in Clark Rockefeller's name into their database and were shocked when it turned up absolutely nothing. His credit cards were on Sandra's existing accounts. His cell phone number was under the name of a friend. And when the investigators asked about her ex-husband's identification papers, Sandra responded that he had none. With very little to work with, the case was handed over to the special agent Noreen Gleason, a 17-year FBI veteran assigned to the Boston field office. And her first call was to the Rockefeller family, who responded that Clark was, in no way, shape, or form, related to their prestigious family. Days passed and the case continued with red herrings starting to pop up all over the world in regards to Clark Rockefeller until finally some prints found on a wine glass left at a friend's house gave investigators the first glimpse into his true identity. The glass was sent off to Quantico and while prints were being analyzed, the Bureau decided to release photos of the kidnapper to the public in hopes that someone may recognize him. With that, a lifetime of carefully constructed identities started to rear their heads, and the case of Clark Rockefeller became much, much more complicated. A month and a hell of a lot of police work later, the FBI confirmed that Clark Rockefeller was, in fact, a man named Christian Carl Gerhardsreiter. Christian Gerhardsreiter, born February 21st, 1961, in Siegsdorf, Bavaria, Germany, met an American couple named Elmer Jean Kellen in 1978 and, using their names, was able to gain entrance into the United States as a teenager, declaring that the pair had invited him to stay with them in California. After entering the country and landing in New York, Christian went to Berlin, Connecticut, where he found a family who was willing to let him live with them, being accepted as a foreign exchange student in 1979 and enrolling in Berlin High School, where he told his host family and anyone else that he came from a wealthy family in Germany. He eventually wore out his welcome with the Savio family and was asked to leave. Trying to make his way to California where he intended on working as an actor, Christian reached Milwaukee, changed his name to Christopher Kenneth Gearhart, and enrolled in the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. This became the first in what would be a series of aliases adopted by the future con man who told stories that ranged from being an actor, director, art collector, physicist, ship's captain, negotiator of internal debt agreements, and an English aristocrat. Wanting to become a U.S. citizen, in 1981, Christopher, a.k.a. Christian, told 22-year-old Amy Gersild Dunk that if she did not marry him so he could secure a green card, he would be sent back to Germany where he would be forced to fight in the Cold War on the Russian front line. She agreed, and the day after their wedding, Christopher abandoned her and made his way to California. She filed for a divorce in 1992. Changing his name slightly to Christopher Chichester, started living in the guest house of a woman named Ruth Didi Soas in the upscale neighborhood in San Marino, California. Now, while living on Didi's property, rent-free, I might add, her son John and his wife Linda came to live with his mother in the main house. Things seemed to be going well enough until early 1985, when John and Linda started to tell friends that they had landed a prestigious job with the U.S. government in their satellite program. 
thinking it was odd that a low-level worker in the computer department of Jet Propulsion Laboratory and an aspiring artist working as a clerk at a sci-fi bookstore would get such an important high-ranking job. These friends started to ask the couple some questions about their newest employment, but they claimed they were sworn to secrecy. Though Linda let it slip that both had to report for immediate duty in New York, but would return to San Marino two weeks later to pack up their things. Eight weeks later, John and Linda were nowhere to be found, and Linda's sister was calling Dee Dee asking for an explanation. According to Dee Dee, she had not heard from her son nor his wife, but had been in contact with a, quote, source who was giving her updates on the couple. A couple who, with the exception of two postcards from Linda postmarked from Paris, were never heard from again. Five months later, the mysterious source disappeared as well, and Dee Dee filed a missing persons report. The source, she would later learn, was Christopher Chichester, her old tenant who had recently moved out with no forwarding address. In May of 1994, skeletal remains were found and a neighbor came forward who said that Christopher had borrowed a chainsaw shortly after John and Linda left for their new job, despite the fact that, according to those who knew him, he was not one to ever pick up tools and do manual labor. Another witness came forward saying that when she came over to spend the evening with Christopher, she noticed that his yard had been dug up, though he claimed it was for a plumbing issue. Forensic evidence showed a brutal death with evidence that the deceased was struck in the head twice, stabbed at least six times, and cut into three pieces. As evidence started to mount against Christopher, and it was looking more and more like the remains found were that of at least John Sohas, Investigators tried to figure out what this stranger had against his landlord's son and daughter-in-law. From what they could figure shortly after moving back in with Dee Dee, John started to wonder about the man living on his mother's property. Worried he was a grifter looking to make some money off of an elderly woman. So he started digging. Investigators surmised that the more he dug, the more worried Christopher became. And, always the ladies' man, it was likely that he started to turn an eye towards Linda. Unfortunately, the motive was all speculation, and though the clothing found near the human remains matched clothing John was known to wear, because he was adopted, there was nothing to compare his DNA to in order to get a definitive match. And the body of Linda Sohas never found. Christopher Chichester was named a person of interest, but by the time this happened, he had already relocated to the East Coast where he was pulled over in Greenwich, Connecticut, driving a pickup truck owned by Jonathan Sohas. He left before police could interview him and, because of the time there was no proof that John and Linda were dead, there was little they could do to warrant an arrest. Settling in Connecticut, Christian Gerhardt's writer changed his identity once again, this time going by Christopher C. Crow, and claiming to be a television producer from L.A., who worked on the 1980s remake of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Hired to work on the computers at a brokerage firm, Christopher was fired pretty soon after when they discovered that the social security number he had given them belonged to none other than David Berkowitz. He moved on to work as a sales manager of a corporate bond, was fired from that job as well, and then worked for Kidder, Peabody & Co. before quitting and abandoning his Christopher Crow persona after he found out the police were starting to get a whiff of him in their investigation into the disappearance of John and Linda. Which brings us to 1995 and his latest and greatest persona, 
James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller of the prestigious Rockefeller family. He married Sandra Boss, a high-earning senior executive, in a Quaker ceremony which had no legal status, and in 2001, welcomed their daughter Ray and started living in Cornish, New Hampshire. Over the course of their marriage, Clark became more and more emotionally abusive to the woman who believed all of his carefully curated lies. Despite being the main breadwinner, it was Clark who controlled all of the family's finances, as well as every aspect of Sandra's day-to-day life. Under the name Clark Rockefeller and claiming to be a wealthy Yale graduate who owned a business in Canada, Christian was able to gain membership to Boston's Algonquin Club, where he, for a time, was one of the club's directors. Unfortunately, while he thought his life was coming up roses, Sandra was considering her options. She hired a private investigator in 2006, who found out that Clark was not who he claimed to be. The lies, abuse, and general unpleasantness of their marriage was enough to disillusion Sandra. She asked for a divorce. They agreed to supervise visits three times a year in return for an $800,000 settlement, two cars, her engagement ring, and a dress that he gifted her. She moved to London and legally changed their daughter's name, which now brings us back to the beginning of our story. Shortly after throwing cash at his friend and fleeing into the night, a warrant charged Christian Gerhardt's rider with custodial kidnapping, assault, and battery, and assault with a deadly weapon, the SUV. On August 2, 2008, after a week-long search for the seven-year-old girl and her fugitive father, Christian was found in Baltimore, Maryland, where he had recently purchased an apartment under the name Charles Chip Smith. FBI agents, with the help of the owner of a local marina, were able to lure him out of the apartment where he was arrested and charged with his crimes. Ray was found unharmed inside of the apartment and returned to her mother. On August 15, 2008, the FBI, Massachusetts State Police, Boston Police, and the Suffolk County District Attorney confirmed that Clark Rockefeller was Christopher Crowe, was Christopher Chichester, was Christopher Gerhardt, was Christian Carl Gerthardt Ryder. On September 3rd, 2008, the charge of furnishing a false name to a law enforcement officer following an arrest was added to his long list of crimes. On February 13th, 2008, Christian's lawyers filed a notice that they intended on using the insanity defense. And during his 2009 trial, told the jury that their client believed that his daughter had communicated with him telepathically from London that she needed to be rescued. Defense experts testified that they diagnosed Christian with delusional disorder, grandiose type, and narcissistic personality disorder, while a psychiatrist for the prosecution testified that he had diagnosed him with, quote, mixed personality disorder with narcissistic and antisocial traits, but felt as though he was exaggerating his symptoms to gain sympathy that he knew right from wrong and knew taking his daughter was illegal, which was proven by his meticulously planned abduction. On June 12, 2009, a jury convicted Christian for almost all of the charges laid out against him. He was acquitted of the second assault charge and for giving a false name to police. He was sentenced to four to five years in a state prison for the kidnapping and two to three years for the assault charge. On March 15, 2011, Los Angeles County prosecutors charged Christian with the murder of Jonathan Sohas, a crime that the jury from his first trial was barred from hearing. 
On January 24, 2012, a superior court ruled that Christian must stand trial for the murder. And on April 10, 2013, he was found guilty of first-degree murder, despite the case being based largely on circumstantial evidence. He was given the maximum sentence, 27 years to life, with a credit for the one year he had already served in Massachusetts. Christian Gerhardt's writer maintains his innocence and claims that it was Linda who murdered John. In 2015, his sentence was reduced to 26 years to life and with good time credits, will be eligible for parole in September of 2030 when he is 69 years old. His appeal was denied in 2015 and again in 2016, thus exhausting all of his state appeals. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.